Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. We are going to do a case that is connected to the one we covered last week, the Watson-Minter case. Okay. So I had said We're not last t- week. Go ahead. We're not going to talk first? <laughs> okay. Would you like to talk first? I watched a documentary yesterday, the Natalie Wood one. You're a documentary girl. I am a documentary whore. We should put a little shout out to people if anyone does documentaries and we're thinking of doing one, I'll say we, if you could send us some uh, tips or how to get started. Why don't we do that? That would be wonderful. Thank you. This was very interesting. And I went in thinking one thing and then watched it and came out thinking another. Mm, About Natalie Wood? Hmm. No, no, about, you know, about the whole controversy of how she died. Mm-hmm. And I have now changed my mind. Ooh, maybe I'll have to watch it. Cause yeah, I think, it was very good. I think one thing, too. Okay. What do you think? Well, I don't want to say. <laughs> Whoever the hell she was on that boat with tossed her off. Okay. All right, well, watch the documentary. Okay. And then tell me what you think. I will. Okay. All right. So, again, today's case is one that's connected to the one we covered last week, the Sheila Watson and Bonnie Minter one. Mm-hmm. Um, connected geographically, but there's a connection at the end, so I'll tell you. But um, Mar- Mara's going to start us off, as usual, with some background about the players in the case. Eleanor and Norman Prouty lived in Somers, New York. Hmm, sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Somers, is, <laughs> Somers is where I live, and it is a small town in northern Westchester County. Um, it, I describe it as Mayberry. Mm-hmm. There are about 22,000 residents, and Somers is about 50 miles north of New York City. And Norman Prouty was a retired New York advertising executive, and Eleanor was a retired Reader's Digest editor. And Reader's Digest is not far from Somers, actually. It's oh, really? A couple, yeah, it's a couple exits away. So Eleanor had started at Reader's Digest as a fashion writer in the 30s and worked her way up to senior editor, which is a pretty big deal. They had four children, Norman Jr., John, James, and Patricia. And as of 1980, Norman suffered from multiple sclerosis and was rendered immobile. Sad. Also in Somers was a home for troubled juveniles, Lincoln Hall, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. Eleanor sometimes hired boys from there to do odd jobs around the house for her. Lincoln Hall, I think, is still there, Mayor. Um, well, I'm going to have to do some research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Lincoln Hall was run by the Christian Brothers and first established as a home for orphans during the Civil War. So the boys at Lincoln Hall are referred by the New York family courts after they've been adjudicated as either persons in need of supervision, so PINs, or juvenile delinquents, JD. Uh, The boys that are charged with violence against persons, heavy drug abuse, or arson are not allowed at the facility. So most described it as a place to hold these boys until they would inevitably enter the adult prison system. 
So basically what, like a large holding cell place? Well, yeah, just somewhere Um, to put them. Right. So in 1980, the facility housed about 150 boys with an average age of about 15 and a half and an average length of stay around 14 months, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a long time. Yeah, I agree to be in like an institutional setting. Right. And when you have people in, you know, uh, again, watching all these prison documentaries. I don't know. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything because I, I don't know what happens here. But um, right. I think that's I feel a pretty like, long time. And once you go in, you could go in not knowing a lot about certain crimes and then you go in there and make friends and. And you learn. Right. And you learn, which is true for any institution, a mental institution. You learn. Right. And you, uh, they almost become your family. Mm -hmm. In 1980, Norman was 66 and Eleanor was 68. So I saw some differences in the ages, but they're in their mid to late 60s, let's say. Their grandson Brooks was with them until about 1.30 a.m. on May 25th, 1980. At around 2.30 a.m., Norman and Eleanor were asleep in bed on the second floor of their home. Later that morning, Brooks' sister, 10-year-old Honor, came to her grandparents' house for a Sunday visit. As she went inside, she found her grandmother's body near the front door. She ran to her Mm. father, who called the police. The police found Eleanor already dead and Norman badly beaten in his bed. Oh, God. Norman was able to give a description of the attackers the following day from his hospital bed. First of all, I'm just going to comment on the fact that he's he's immobile and he was badly beaten and he's alive and she is dead near the front door. Potentially, how horrible. He could have heard everything that happened to her and not been able to help. Uh, right, right. One of the boys from Lincoln Hall called the police in July, so this is May, June, two months later, and told them that Terrence Lasica was bragging about committing the crime with another boy, David Hollis. So thankfully, this kid called the police. This is the lead they needed because they really had nothing to go on before this. I never understand why people do that. It's like they're so demented and looking for attention and trying to like these prisoners. They all they brag to each other. Yeah. What are you doing? It's so hard. Eventually, you're going to talk about it. Eventually, yeah. But not right when you do it. You know, right. maybe years later, you, you know, I don't know. So let me talk about, I guess, these two guys, these two kids, basically. They're kids. Mm-hmm. David Hollis was 16 in 1980. He grew up in Buffalo, New York. His mother was not the best and was married and divorced three times and that obviously didn't offer him a very stable childhood, which can be in you know many people. He was committed to Lincoln Hall by Buffalo, New York Family Court on a PINS petition signed by his mother. And the court psychologist recommended, recommended Lincoln Hall as an emotional supportive environment. Terrence Losico, we're going to call him, was 17 in 1980, and he was an orphan and grew up shuttled between over 12 different foster homes and institutions. And he was adopted in 1974 by the Los Sicos and was in Lincoln Hall by 1979. So 
five, six, seven, eight. So five years later, he was in Lincoln Hall. Right. After they were arrested, Losico confessed to the crime, stating that he and Hollis snuck away from the school. They left dummies of themselves in their beds and climbed out of a window. They got into the Prouty home through an unlocked window. Losico brought a piece of firewood in from outside with him. I guess they figured that an elderly couple with, with the husband being unable to fight back would be easy, right? I, I Did they... Did they know going there who they were going to? Yeah, because remember, she had kids from there working odd jobs. Oh, right, right, right. They would go back and talk about, you know, easy targets, I guess. Oh, right. Okay. So they started to take things from the rooms downstairs and they heard snoring upstairs. So they went up, which I would leave and take what I could, but they went up. Losico then beat Norman with the piece of the firewood, and then he grabbed Eleanor and dragged her through the house. Oh. He wanted to, you know, he wanted her to lead him to money somewhere. He said that he got angry with her when she started to put up a fight. She was screaming, turning on all the lights as he dragged her around. Um, they both dragged her down the stairs, demanding money because some of the boys who had done those odd jobs told Lasico that they had huge amounts of cash in the house, which they did not. Mm. When she only had $25 to hand over, Lasico beat her and strangled her to death. He also admitted to sodomizing her. Oh, my God. And as she lay dying... This is a 16-year-old kid. Or 17? 17. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Ugh. As she lay dying, he stomped on her face, leaving an imprint of his boot. Nice guy. Yeah. So there are differing accounts as to how much money they got, but it's between $25 and 55 It does not really matter. <laughs> that's, you, he, that's what you do? You kill somebody for that amount of money? To also, to be in Lincoln Hall, if it's true what they said, he had no prior, like, violent crimes or anything. You know, so... right. This is one heck of a start. Really? But his confession, so this is his actual confession. He said, quote, she turned off a few of them. And she's talking about the lights when he was getting angry that she was turning them on. Right. She started yelling and making noise. She wasn't saying anything. She wasn't making no sense, really. I grabbed her and pulled her out into the hallway and threw her on the floor. I hit her with the stick, which is a piece of firewood not quite a stick i hit her in the back of the head about three times she was down on the floor and i kicked her in the mouth oh during the struggle i ripped the back of her slip when i kicked her i kicked her a couple of times then they don't detail what he says about the sodomy then i turned her over her face was all bloodied up oh they were indicted on August 7th, 1980, and they could both face 25 years to life. And as expected, they pled not guilty. So Los- he, he confesses. Right. Uh-huh. And then, ple- and then they, he, pleads, he, does, he pleads not guilty. That's right. What? It's just strategy. Okay, well, obviously. All right. So Losico, which is, this is weird to me. He had a non-jury trial. 
which is, I think, pretty rare. And Hollis had a jury trial. Now, were they tried as adults? Yes. Okay. What determines that? Like whether or not... I think it's a case by case, right? And if your crime is that heinous and well thought out and they equate you with an adult, I think, sort of. Okay. We got to look into that because, uh, okay, right now, Lesico seems to be the main player in this. Correct. Right? We haven't heard anything about Hollis yet about what his role was. The judge found Lesico guilty after deliberating for only 15 minutes on April 30th, 1981. He was sentenced to 27 and one third years to life. On May 12th, 1981, Hollis was convicted by the jury and sentenced to 20 years to life. So I think Hollis's main role in it was to get the stuff. I think Lesico went upstairs. He's the one that beat the husband. He's the right. one that brutalized the brutalized the wife and killed her. So Hollis was just there committing the robbery. Right. right. And, and an accessory, that, really, right? I mean, he's right. and he's not doing anything to stop it. I mean, so the Prouty family filed a $2 million lawsuit against the school, alleging that all the boys have to do is open a window and step out. Right, which is what happened, basically. Right. So Norman died on March 27th, 1986 at Somers Manor Nursing Home. Right, so he was there immediately after he got out of the hospital. That's where he spent the rest of his time, which was only six years. Right. Okay, so why we covered this case, not that it's not a horrible and brutal case, but it I did say last week that it was connected to the Sheila Watson and Bonnie Minter case. Yeah, you know what's weird? When I was... I moved to Somers about six, six, seven years ago. And, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's such, such a, like a cute, quaint little town. And I remember when I was moving, somebody said to me, oh, isn't that where the murder took place? And I was like, what? I never heard of, I never heard of a murder in Somers. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, every time I, I hear of Somers, that's like the first thing that comes to my mind. Oh, and geez. I had never heard of it and always wondered what he was talking about. So now I've heard of it. And that is horrible. So we, I know you chose this for a reason. Right. So tell me why. Last week, remember the son that went to the neighbor to say, my mommy's in trouble. Right. He was Jason Minter. So he yes. was Bonnie's six-year-old son at that time. So David Minter, Jason's father and Bonnie's husband, worked at Reader's Digest and was friends oh. with Eleanor. So Eleanor and David were friends. And wow. after Bonnie was murdered, which was just, you know, three years before Eleanor Couple was. Years. Yeah, right. Eleanor was devastated by Bonnie's death because she knew the family she brought food to the house, visited the kids, offered whatever she could offer them to help them. Um, she was mm. just very, like, heartbroken about Bonnie's murder. And Jason and his sister and Eleanor's grandson, Brooks, the one who had been at Eleanor's house. 
Right. Became close friends through the years, and they actually ended up joining forces to try to, to change the parole system. Wow. Okay. Because they didn't like the fact that they come up every two years. They wanted right. it to be longer and some other changes that I don't think were made, but they were working on it and probably still are. David Hollis was released on parole in 2010, but was returned on a parole violation. Then he was granted parole again in 2011 and violated. And I think he ended up finally being released after all was said and done. But I mean, how many parole violations can you have and be back out? And then be back out. So in 2016, a new law was put in place that stated that a crime victim can designate someone to represent them at a parole hearing that you don't have to attend because um, before this, you'd have to go every two years or every whatever as they're up for parole. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's you'd have to, devastating. Well, you wouldn't have to go, but you could, to make your statement, you'd all go, you'd say your, why they should stay in jail, the whole thing, and just relive everything every two years or longer or shorter, however often they got up for review. Right. So this Now, for new some law, people... For some people, maybe they they want that option. Maybe some people do want to oh, go. You can you can you go, can, but you don't you can, have to. Right, but some people, uh, for obvious reasons, don't want to relive that. Some people do not, and they can now have someone designated to represent them, and it could be someone in the system, like at the, that's going to be at the hearing anyway, and then they can just read their statement instead of them, and it could be read into the record, and then just reread into the record every time they're up for parole instead of them having to go. Right. Said in an article, this legislation spares the victim the trauma of having to relive a horrifying experience every time a parole hearing is scheduled. It was inspired by the fact that Losico was up for parole and denied seven times. Good. All seven times a member of the Prouty family attended the hearing and gave a statement. On the eighth time, the Prouty family was not notified. I think they gave them like five days notice or something, and they just didn't get the notification. So they weren't notified in enough time that there was a parole hearing on. So no one from the family was there to give a statement, and Losica was granted parole. Oh. Which is crazy, but there's a way that things are made right. He was released on March 10th, but back in prison by May 20th for violating parole. They said he had violated his curfew and the relationship conditions of his release. So I'm not sure what those conditions were, but I'm thinking if you commit a sex crime, they they could the parole could be that he can't have a girlfriend or a relationship with anyone or you know, like I didn't realize they could put those restrictions on, but I guess they oh, could do whatever. They I want. didn't either. Wow. Right. Okay. So it said that that was probably the case. Like he couldn't have a relationship and he did but um, as far as I could see he was released again on October 25th 2016 so he's out like wh- which is, is so 80 to 2016 is 36 years for that crime people are I mean, on like he's still death row still, for stuff like that I know and he's still that's young, insane right? to me yeah, he's he's still young. And I I'm curious if he's sorry, if he's 
you know, it doesn't seem like he was sorry at all. Yeah, I didn't find any um, information on what he did in jail to better himself. I don't think much if he was denied seven times. Well, probably, probably not. But I, I I don't know. That's crazy to me that this guy well because he was so young when he did it but I don't know does somebody again the the kind of conversation we have all the time does somebody change it just doesn't seem like there's any remorse at all I didn't find any remorse or any information about that but I wish I did because I feel like when you're young you can mature and change right yes you can I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm, I can't speak today. But I, I just, yes, you can. And in some cases, I'm sure. But I, in this particular case, it was such a violent crime. Like, how, how do you just do that to somebody? I mean, you got to have years of therapy and really kind of turn your life around somehow with with some help because this guy was i feel like going in to rob somebody getting surprised by them and shooting the owners is a totally different burglary to murder scenario than what we have here yeah i mean you beat the crap out of look not that 60s is that old but when you're 16 that's an elderly man right Mm -hmm. he's pretty much immobile you beat the crap out of him, and then you beat the crap out of the wife, kick her in the face, sodomize her, and then you pretty much brag about it afterwards. Like, right. n- no, there's something wrong in your head. Yeah, that's something totally different. For the first scenario, I would be not okay with them, but I would not be surprised if after 30 years they're granted parole, they've turned their life around from 16 to, to whatever. But... This situation, I feel like, yeah, I was surprised you some, I didn't find him yeah. back in jail. Uh, for you gotta else. Be, do some serious repenting and soul searching and completely reinvent yourself, right? And that's to me that's so strange that these two families were connected that way. I know, isn't that like so what bizarre? are the odds of that? Very bizarre. As she's there helping them, who knew that within three years she would be a victim of a violent crime as well? And very similar, because mm-hmm. those those two women were raped. They mm-hmm. were, you know, tortured, murdered, and yep. uh, a very similar fate to her. The other thing, too, is in, in pretty nice towns... You know what I mean? In both right. safe in both situations, they were safe, pretty safe neighborhoods. Right. Um, there is one more case that is connected to the Minter Watson case from last week. But I'm going to okay. save that for a different time because uh, next week is our 50th episode. Wow. And we want to cover... Can I say wow? You can say wow. Wow. We want to cover our, one of our favorite cases. I Um, I don't want to say favorite. Well, I mean, 
the most one interesting of the cases. Interesting. Yeah. Um, again, extremely interesting. I would even say controversial because agreed. I, I still don't understand the topic. Let's put we it will that way. Never understand how this happened. Ever. How it happened and happens. Happened, happens, was not caught, the whole disaster of it. So we will right. discuss that next week. I can't believe it's 50 episodes. I'm excited. I love doing this with you and think it's fun. It takes us on these little adventures and detours in our life that would otherwise be pretty boring. Yeah, it's going. It's like going on a girl's car ride and just bullshitting. Right. Tw- so far, 2020 has been shit. 2020 has been real shit. So it's going to um, turn around. Don't turn around. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have anything that we want to say? Are we getting comments? I don't know if you're reading them. I know our listenership has gone up. Our listenership has gone up. We've been getting comments. And someone just uh, posted on Instagram that they listened to the first episode of our podcast and the first one they listened to with was Arthur Shawcross and they liked it oh. and they were they were thankful that we used sex workers as you know that's what we called them so they wanted to let me know that which is nice oh i love to hear that that's shit. nice yep yeah do you want to sing us out please nefarious new york <laughs> i'm sorry my husband just walked in the kitchen naked. <laughs> oh, okay, honey. I'll have to help him. Hold on. Here you go, honey. You're welcome. <laughs> I need Sorry. like a bit camera in your house to record all this stuff. Shit does not happen in normal houses. Uh... <laughs>